Financial literacy is the possession of the set of skills and knowledge that allows an individual to make informed and effective decisions with all their financial resources. When we think of literacy, we generally tend to only relate that to reading and writing. However, financial literacy requires an understanding of several topics. Individual financial literacy levels can have various impacts, both positive or negative, on the outcome of persons' lives. The financial literacy of a country is important to its growth and development, as it encompasses a wide range of topics, disciplines, or interests. But based on the definition of financial literacy, how can persons acquire that knowledge and is it accessible to them? What are some of the basics required to make an informed decision financially? Good day, everyone. Welcome to another episode of CFAL Talks. I am Senior Financial Literacy Coach Richard Pinder, along with Senior Financial Literacy Coach Shanice Taylor. And joining us in studio is Mrs. Pamela Ferguson, Vice President of Investments at CFAL. We will be starting a new series examining financial literacy and its many facets on society. In today's episode, we will discuss the importance of financial literacy and why it is of critical importance for persons to understand their finances. So let us begin by talking about what is financial literacy. Pam? Well, like you mentioned, financial literacy is the understanding and the knowledge of financial components and skills. It's being able to use the information garnered from knowing about the various financial products like compound interest, interest rates, mortgages, pensions, national insurance, being able to use the information that you've garnered in order to make well-informed and better decisions. And it's very significant today. It has been for a long time, but I think it really came to the forefront during the Great Recession and particularly during the pandemic. Um, People see how quickly their fortunes can diminish due to no fault of their own. And so financial literacy in a lot of the developed countries have gained prominence in the communities, helping people to understand finances and uh, help them to avoid making bad financial decisions. So Shanice, in your day-to-day experiences, what are persons you talk to when it comes to financial literacy? What do they tell you? What have you, what have you been hearing? In the day-to-day, I would say that when it comes to financial literacy, most persons are probably unaware of the literacy that's needed in terms of, like Pam said, she mentioned about financial products. Most persons, they want to learn more but they just don't know how to, or they feel intimidated in terms of finding out the ways to learn more. We have persons like our parents who may be, you know, in their 50s or 60s, and, you know, they hear about these new investment products that are coming out, and they're like, what do you think about this? And, you know, you will tell them, you know, from your experience, well, look at it, look at the risks involved, you know, are you able to get your money back? And, you know, to the one, they're going to say, you know what, I'm just going to do it because I, I want to achieve some financial goal. I want to um, take an investment and get an earning on it. So people people want to learn about financial literacy. I think that most of the time that, like I said, they're intimidated or they don't know how to get good sound advice. About it. I agree with that. Well, according to the Central Bank 2018 survey, over 51% of adult Bahamians are financially illiterate. 
Now, that's not a derogatory term. It's ju- it just means the opposite of financial literacy. They don't have the financial knowledge to make informed decisions. And so I imagine that a lot of people are intimidated when it comes to finances. I hear people would say, well, I turn it over to you as a financial advisor and whatever you deem appropriate. And I think that is inappropriate. Um, You should have some basic understanding of where your monies are being invested. And like you mentioned, Shanice, you should have some understanding of the risk. And if you have an investment advisor that tells you it's too complicated for you to understand, then that's a hint that you probably need to move on from that investment. Yeah, because they're they're just coming to you for that advice. And then when, let's say five or 10 years down the road, and now this has grown or this hasn't grown, they don't have an understanding of what it should have done from the beginning. So if they just come to you, but they don't even have an understanding of what you're investing on their behalf, then they're still at a disadvantage because five or 10 years have passed. So now they have time has elapsed and they may or may not have reached their goals in terms and, of- And they may be frustrated. If as an advisor, you don't properly explain it to them, then you risk down the road when they come to you and they- notice that they didn't make any money or they didn't make as much as they they thought thought, they would have made, then they will put that onus on you and they will blame you. So it it pays to advise them upfront of the risk and the return potential for this investment so that they're well informed. And then if they see that the investment is not doing as well as they would like it to do, then they may come back to you and say, okay, move me out of that investment and put me into something else. And then you have this better relationship between investor and client because you have an understanding of what you're investing your monies in. Agreed. Definitely with the risk, as the OECD stated, they also encompass that in the definition of financial literacy. It's just not understanding a financial concept or how to calculate interest. It's also understanding, hey, this is a particular investment. Yes, this is is the expected return that you hope to achieve, but this is also the risk that's associated with this. And I think that's that's very, very important. Mm -hmm. I read a case a few years back where this gentleman had invested his pension money with a very well-known and top investment banking company. And they placed his funds in some very risky investments and he lost it. And he went back to them complaining and they didn't want to reimburse him. He took them to court and he won his case because the the court ruled that given his circumstances, the investment house should have never placed his funds in those risky investments. They were his pension funds and they should have never done that. And so that's why it pays as investment houses. Yes, the client has the final decision to make, but then you have to make them understand the decision they made and if possible, make them sign Yeah, to the fact that they know exactly what they are doing. So if something goes to fall, then you know that you're covered as an investment advisor. Now, one of the things I think Palm started talking about that I want to piggyback on is the correlation between financial literacy and gaining wealth and success. So a lot of times persons think, okay, now that I have this knowledge, I am automatically going to be wealthy. I'm automatically going to be successful. That is not the case. A lot of persons out there have the financial knowledge, they have the literacy, but they're not using it correctly and they're still making bad decisions. So it's still at the end of the day, they're not going to be wealthy. They've started a business, less like Shanice mentioned with this money that they have, but the business is not going to succeed because they still don't understand the basic principle of how to manage that money. So what are some of, what do you think about that correlation that persons have then? Just because I have the financial literacy, I have the knowledge, I'm going to automatically be wealthy and automatically 
be successful? No, I, I don't personally believe that there's a correlation between financial literacy and financial wealth. Just like with many things, you may have the information, but you don't apply it. And wealth can be generated by many forms. You can inherit wealth. You can get your wealth through illicit means, clean up your money and then become wealthy. But the path to wealth that I like is hard work and spending less than you earn. And see, when when it's like that, then anybody can access it. Because if you inherit it, you have to be attached to a wealthy family in order to inherit it. If you get it by illicit means, you got to be risky. You take a chance <laughs> that you don't get caught and you could continue on this until you get a chance to clean up this money and then put yourself off as being a wealthy person. Mm-hmm. But through hard work and determination, anybody, it doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter your socioeconomic position, anybody can access wealth and Agreed. success through financial management. Well, I agree with Tom, but I do think there is a slight correlation, a positive relationship that if you do have this financial knowledge, like let's say you were a contractor and you come into thousands of dollars and you don't have the knowledge of what to do with this, you may squander it. So if you had some knowledge to say, you know what, I could go to an investment firm and get a savings account that I could earn 4% or 5% on it. That may help you in the long run. Now, like you said, Pam, it's not, um, automatic that, okay, I have this financial literacy, I'm going to do better. Because like Pam said, what are you going to do with, do with the knowledge? Are you going to use this? Because you could have the information there and don't use it at all. Right. But I do think that some people can benefit, you know, persons who, you know, they, they just need direction. And if they get that good financial advice, they could honestly help to generate and keep the income that they actually get. Yeah, the knowledge is always important. Financial literacy to me is financial education. And we know education across the board can be beneficial. Agreed. It doesn't mean that because you know, you will do. And that's my point. Yes. And you mentioned also to discipline. Discipline is very important. <laughs> very I think... I, I think, think all of us struggle with yes, discipline. Yes, I, I, I think, think that's, that's human it. nature. I don't think the problem is that people don't make money is what you do with your money. And to be disciplined enough to say, you know what, I am going to save. You know, despite of, you know, what's going on in society and the type of society that we live in. We are, we are a commercial society. Hey, every time we see something new comes out, man, I want it. Yeah, I need it. You know, I need it. No, not I want it, I need it. (laughs) Discipline is very important. And I think that's one of the ways that people gain wealth. I remember um, about two years ago, I visited an aunt and she had the TV on. It's on a news station. And this man, he worked at one of those high, um, one of those um, more prominent, I guess, well-known financial corporations. He was the janitor. This gentleman saved up for about 30 years. You're a janitor. How much money you think you're making? That's because he spent less. He spent less. Yeah, so it goes and was disciplined yes. to do this for 30 years. Right. He had I a think, plan, had a long-term yeah. plan. I think he had almost a million dollars. Yeah, that's all it is. It's just a long-term plan. It's being able to set a goal, stick to that goal, and know that would know what you're working towards. See, that's yes. why I said I yeah. like the hard work Definitely and spending less path to wealth and success because anybody can access it. It doesn't matter where you're from or who you are. You know, there's a scripture that I particularly like when it comes to finances. And it says, he that is faithful over little will be faithful over much. And he that is unfaithful 
over little would be unfaithful over much. And let's say you're making $30,000 per year and you're looking at somebody who you perceive to be making $100,000 per year. And then you say, if I could only make that kind of money, then I can do, I can save more. I can do uh, other stuff. But no, the principle is if you cannot manage $30,000 a year, you will not be able to manage absolutely a hundred thousand. It's just giving you more money to squander. Right? And Correct. so when we sometimes look at people who make a lot of money, their expenses are also bigger, right? They may have the better cars, the better houses, the better clothes, and the better gadgets. But if they were to suffer an unfortunate circumstance, many of them, they would lose it all because they are living paycheck to paycheck. So even in that regard, I mean, when we think about, when we think about the Bahamas, when we think about our country and we think about some of the things that we can do, we talk about the change and, and how our persons, uh, persons are now looking at, okay, my mother and father did, did this, but I'm going to do something different. So what things are government putting in place now? What things as a nation should be put in place now to help persons become more financially literate? I, for me, it starts with an assessment. The central bank I mentioned did a survey. Can we use that survey as the basis? It was 2018. It's just recent, relatively recent, um, going on five years ago. So it started with an assessment. Where are we in terms of financial literacy? Do we believe financial literacy is important for economic success and progress? And if we do, let's commission that, that assessment and then get a body of people together to form this commission that will be responsible for monitoring, regulating, and implementing financial literacy um, across the country and come up with a financial literacy strategy. And I think the first place to start that would be in the schools, your financial literacy program. Adults can look at, you can have podcasts, podcasts such as this and what Mm -hmm, you guys mm -hmm. will be doing going forward, talking about financial literacy, webinars, and different ways that that you can expose people um, to the financial knowledge to help them to make uh, better decisions. But it starts first, I think, with an assessment. You know, I have a six-year-old nephew and, you know, I'm in finance, so there's no way I'm going to be in finance. (laughs) I'm not going to try to use my influence to help. And so what we have done is we got him a piggy bank. And now we can't understand everything. Although I think sometimes we underestimate these children and their learning capabilities because some of the things he comes back from school with, I'm like... They're teaching you that. <laughs> I don't remember learning that yeah. at your stage, but he has a piggy bank. And so whenever he asks to, to, to get something and we said, we don't have any money. He said, well, I have money. Well, where do you have money? In my piggy bank. So even that seed that is being planted and you, you build upon that to help yeah. him to understand the importance of saving. Do not spend 100% of a dollar. Exactly. Even if it's only a penny. Absolutely. Put it aside for a future day. And I think um, one of the things that we can do is, as you mentioned, there are so many mediums that we can use. I mean, you don't have to use the standard black and white mediums that we we had to use in the past. You have mediums now where you can target younger persons because, of course, they don't really necessarily look at the black and white mediums um, of the past. They kind of use more of the, the social mediums now. So I think one of the things that government can do is take advantage of those mediums because you would definitely reach out to them more, you know, quicker if you reach out to them and you kind of target them and you, 
even if definitely be used forums such as these, um, where persons can just talk to them in their own language, for lack of a better word, where they can use terms that they can understand and appreciate. So I think that there are definitely things that we can do nationally, but definitely it definitely starts within those within those schools targeting those younger persons because it starts with getting them in that habit. Yes, and um, I realize that we mentioned that the central bank, they did the survey, but before the survey in 2017, they they started, they launched this program called Get Smart, Get Smart Bahamas. Bahamas. Yes, absolutely. And if you go on the website, you can see that they had a lot of activity going on with targeting, um, doing like um, promotions where you would have to submit a video on a topic. And the topics that they cover is from banking, economics, to debt management. And I, I think that's a very good initiative that they have done. But like you said, to get more probably public-private institutions involved, because it can't it can't just be solely on the government. I think the Correct. government is there to provide the access. Right. They are but one part of the one part of the equation. Yes. Correct. But it's up to us to actually go out there. Because like I said, if you go on the website, there are a lot of tools that are actually there. But you know, are people more aware? I've seen it across social media, but is the average person who needs, you know, who's looking, seeking this knowledge, do they know about this? And that's where you, that's where marketing come in. Yes. You see, that's where Mark to push it. Yes. To make sure it has wide reach. And deliver it in a way that people will would listen to it. For me, I don't tend to listen to long videos. So nobody, if nobody I does. if I get a video <laughs> and I see six minutes on this, and then I start playing it, and I'm like, mm, <laughs> that's too long. I can't, I can't listen to that right now. Right. So you have to understand uh, the situation in the market. Use the marketing expert, and you could have short one minute, one and a half minute. Max two minute videos where you are distributing to persons in order for them to 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 get your message. So I know we mentioned it being in the schools, but I'm wondering, is it more of a obligation on the government in terms of the um, curriculum in school to include financial education? Because I, I thought about how when you reach in high school, that's 10, 11, 12. As you enter grade 10, you have an option to choose your electives. Now, courses like accounts, economics, commerce, they're electives. But I think that kind of goes to that, that another point that I make too, where we're asking who is responsible for your financial education and individual's financial education? Is it the school? Is it the government? Is it your parents? Is it your environment? Is it, is it who is responsible? Who's really ultimately responsible for that? Well, I think from a, my personal perspective, as an adult, you are responsible for your own financial well-being. And from a child's perspective, the family or parents are responsible for your children's financial well-being. Now, when you look, take it from a macro level and you look at the economy. So the government may look at the economy and realize that we have a lot of sick people. So in order to help itself... Because if it doesn't, then all of that falls on the government. We need to implement programs in order to help our people or facilities in order for our people to get help. So that's why I go back to assessment of where we are in terms of our financial literacy and whether it's important. So if you look at it and you see that financial literacy is important 
for the future, no, future economic development and growth of your economy, then it's on you to see how you can implement it in the school system in, in, to ensure that as much of our persons as possible are financially literate. Because if you're financially literate, it will help you with a level of financial stability. Starting a business. A lot of people want to do business, but they have no clue. You know, I remember a few years ago, I went to a restaurant and it was very busy. But this, this restaurant eventually closed. And I saw why, because you would go there and wait for over an hour to get your food. It was a Bohemian restaurant, um, Bohemian breakfast. Over an hour, you were sitting down. And a lot of persons probably waited because, you know, Saturday morning, you were not in a rush. And so you waited. But I watched the owner of the restaurant. He would go to the till. Because I had an hour to wait. This is one. This is the first and the last time I did it. I didn't do it after that. He would go to the till and he would count out a large sum of money, roll it up and put it in his pants pocket and he walked on. And I, I marveled at that because I'm, I said to myself, people stealing from you. They're stealing. And he had one of those old cash, you know, the ones you yeah, type yeah. up, not, not the automatic ones that was linked to a computer right. system, That's right? It was just a, the, the old type cash register. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel that a lot of people that, that run business because they don't have that financial knowledge, they don't understand how to separate the company money from their, from money. their monies. Yeah. See, you're supposed to pay yourself. Pop and if your business campaign. can only pay you half of what you probably used to make mm-hmm. at your old co- at your company where you were being paid then that's what it is but you can't mix them up and then when you want to buy the rug for the house you use the company money to buy it and there's no like you mentioned no proper oh trust me that's a um, whole separate podcast accounting oh. but yeah i think for children parents for adults you're responsible for your own financial future but the government if it sees the need should they play a role. In, yeah. And provide a program that will help because at the end of the day, it's going to help the government as well. Now, there are some critics of financial literacy. Um, some some people would say that financial literacy doesn't work because I guess you're looking at the choices that people who do financial courses or if you look at some finance professionals, you know, their choices are not the best. So my question would be, with the financial education, if we're, we're teaching children, how how do we ensure that they they are able to apply it? Because if you're teaching children about, oh, we're going to just bring it down to their level. Everything I should be, everything I think should be age appropriate. I mentioned the piggy bank. Yeah. You know, the, the, the good thing about financial literacy, it's a broad topic. Yeah. And we're not we're not talking about derivatives <laughs> and options. No, we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about everyday we're, life. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about everyday life. So for instance, we pay national insurance. We pay on on a three point nine percent come out of our salary mm-hmm. for national insurance. And our company pays five point nine percent on our behalf for national insurance. How does national insurance work? Do many people know how it works? The credit brewery mentioned that briefly. And I, I would hope that you you have that on your list of topics to discuss because that is operational now. Yes. A lot of Bahamians don't know that. And I think it's unfair, personally, because the good thing about the credit brewery is it helps you to understand where you are at this point. What is your credit score? 
And so if you you have a low credit score, then you need you will find out or you can find out what do you need to do to improve this. But for 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 banks to be using that information without you knowing, I think that's a missed opportunity for for financial literacy and and education. So it's a broad topic and we're not talking about the complex things. We're talking about those basic things that we utilize in our everyday life, helping us to understand this and make better decisions with the knowledge that we have. And I think too, um, just in reference to your question, Shanice, one of the things, um, amazing things, and, and I realized that in having kids myself is you would be surprised the information that kids pick up without you trying to teach it to them. Yes, exactly. Pam gave the story with Anissa. You would be surprised the information they pick up just watching you. So I think as parents, as guardians, as, as gatekeepers of the children, of, of the younger generation, you have to set the right example by doing the right things by learning the right information. So once they see you starting to pick up that, get the right information, learn, picking up the right habits, doing the right things, you'll be surprised how much they're just sponges really. Um, and they, they're just learning. So if you're doing the right things and you're doing the, you know, starting the right habits around them, you talked about the piggy bank, you're doing, the, you know, you're doing a budget in front of them. They're looking at you, writing that down, keeping account of your money, how you're spending your money. You'll be surprised how quickly they pick that up without you even saying anything to them. Yeah. Parents would tell you they don't necessarily sit down and teach their kids financial education, but they are indeed watching and they adapt your style and how you do it. And they say your financial DNA is set by the age of seven. So that little child is watching, they're listening, and your actions will determine how they are with their money's. I think like how Pam mentioned the age of seven, I think now more with this generation, definitely, because there's this game, um, there's this famous game. I'm not going to call the name, but what happens is the children, it's an interactive game that they go on and they have money and they go, then they purchase items on this game. And, you know, back then we, we didn't really have that. We used to go around the corner and get 25 cents cup. Right. You know, I I think at age seven, you just wanted to know how to count money, at, um, basically. So in terms of that, yes, like Pam said, we do we do take on some of the stuff that our parents have taught us. And then some things we just say we're not doing or we do not want to follow this trend. I guess like in anything, you know, if they have a bad habit, but definitely money wise, I think when you're a teenager, you already see that, hey, I want to be at this point in my life. I want to achieve these goals. So the things that mommy and daddy used to do, I'm not going to do. I learned about, about money first and foremost from my parents. So my mom taught us that we should never spend 100% of a dollar. Um, she participated in the ASUS, but she was also a saver. And she gave us stories about how she was saving when my dad didn't even know she was saving. And then when he needed some money and she showed up with the money, he's like, where you got that from? He said, she told him, you know, I was saving. And my dad would allow me, like when he went in Asus, <laughs> he would allow me to count it. So I had that, you know, that connection with money that it wasn't something that I was afraid of or intimidated by. So he would call me and he'd say, count it out to me. And I would tell him how much it was. And then so when I got a bit older, I was treasurer for our youth department. Um, and that means taking money home. So at one point I may have like a thousand dollars in the house from from youth uh, department collections. And so, you know, and I learned how to, you know, that's not my money. 
I may have a thousand dollars, but it's not my money. So I had to keep it because this is already recorded. And if I can give an account, then I would have to reimburse. And I didn't have that kind of money to reimburse. And then eventually being financial secretary of one of my former churches. So my connection with money, while it was not formal, I didn't get it in schools, but I got it by watching my parents. I got it by them allowing me to do certain things and participating on the community level, the church level, when I had the opportunity to do so. And and to be honest, I think the money in parents is is very it's very, it's very touchy. So, you know, like Pam said, if you made a conscious decision to say, you know what, I'm not going to follow in my parents' footsteps, then that's, that's good. Yeah. So one of the things I think we've talked, we've covered is we've kind of seen how important it is to be financially literate and some of the things that we can do, especially not only individually, but as a country to, if, if we're not already on that path to financial literacy, ensuring that persons have some financial literacy. Pam and Richard, thank you for your contribution. And just to recap, that financial literacy is important. It affects us in our everyday lives. And we want to create a society or have persons that have basic understanding of financial knowledge and be able to make well-informed decisions regarding their finances. So as we close out, I want to thank the audience for listening in. Please tune in to our next show. And thank you to CFAL for sponsoring this episode. If you would like any more information, please drop us a note at info at cfal.com or visit our website at www.cfal.com. Until next time, 